If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture-wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for April 23rd, 2017. I am your host, John Ziegler. This is the weekly show that's one of the very few places where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from the conservative perspective in this crazy upside-down world in which we live. Our number two is traditionally where we have a guest to speak to, and this week is uh, no exception, although we weren't sure about that for a while because we had some uh, insane technical issues, but apparently they've been now cleared up, and I'm really looking forward to speaking to our guest. He's a friend of mine uh, from uh, the journalistic world, his name is Lee Stranahan, and what makes him interesting, among other things, is one, he might have a more bizarre journalistic career than even I do, which is really saying something. And uh, two, uh, recently he's been in the news quite a bit because some people in the mainstream news media see him as the the link, if you will, between the right-wing conservative media and the Russian conspiracy on behalf of Donald Trump. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's how it's being perceived. His name is Lee Stranahan. Until recently, he was the chief investigative reporter for Breitbart.com, headquarters at the White House. And now he's a radio talk show host for Sputnik, which is the NPR version, uh, I guess MP, Russia's version of NPR. Lee, welcome to the World According to Zig podcast. Hey, John, great to join you. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, uh, for people, I'm a little bit confused, so I'm sure that listeners are going to need a little bit of a, uh, of a understanding of where you're coming from here. So let's, let's go backwards a little bit. Uh, sure. You, you have worked for Breitbart as a journalist slash commentator three different times in your career, and you most recently just left them for the third time. Uh, and so give us a little bit of background as to, to your relationship with Breitbart and how you got to where you are now. Sure. Well, just to make it even more confusing, potentially. So I used to write for the Huffington Post. I used to be on the left, and I wrote for the Huffington Post. And uh, I got into journalism late, so I'm about 51 years old now. And I didn't start doing journalism until I was in my 40s. I've been doing journalism about 10 years. And uh, previous to that, I worked in Hollywood and TV and film. I did visual effects. I was a graphic artist at Access Hollywood and uh, stuff like that. So that was my background. Then I ended up doing journalism on the John Edwards story, the uh, 
John Edwards' affair story in 2008. And even though I was on the left, I was the guy on the left who, yeah, you remember what happened there, John, was John Edwards got caught coming out of a hotel room by the National Enquirer. Right. And it was like 2 in the morning, and he hid in the bathroom and uh, had to call the Beverly Hills cops to get him out so the reporters wouldn't talk to him. And uh, I was writing for Huffington Post and the Daily Cause at that time. And I asked my wife, I said, look, if I had gotten caught coming out of a hotel room at 2 in the morning and I hid in the bathroom, would you suspect something was up? And my wife, being common sense, she said, yeah, I think I would. So I called, I did what apparently nobody else did. I called the Beverly Hills police, and I confirmed whether the story was true. And they confirmed, yes, they'd been called by John Edwards and had rescued him from the bathroom. And so everybody else was dismissing the story, because, you know, it's the Inquirer, and the Inquirer, never, you know what I mean, like that right. kind of... Well, uh, well look, it, le- 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 that's all very interesting, but I don't, if we go at that pace, it's going to be an eight-hour interview, so... No, no, yeah, well, so, so I'll, I'll skip that. So, so anyway, that, that's, it, it's emblematic of how I operate, which is I right. tend to go against the brain. Right. And anyway, I wrote for Huffington Post for a couple of years. I ended up beating Andrew Breitbart. We, uh, he, he knew I was an honest broker, and we started to work together on the Pickford story. Then I knew Andrew about 18 months uh, before he died. I know you knew Andrew as well. And uh, so, you know, he liked me because I was... Uh, so uh, after Andrew died, it was a weird period. And then subsequently, you know, like I say, I mean, I've quit a couple times and been fired once. But, you know, I'm an investigative reporter who goes, I do research, and I typically go against what the media's saying, right. and I'm always right. I never have, I'm always, every time, Oh, that's I'm good. Correct. Except I'm sure your wife would probably disagree with the idea that you're always right, but other than, no, other no, on th- stories, on stories, I'm always right. That's okay, right. On stories. All right, and being a married guy, I know it's impossible to always be right uh, in general, uh, but all right, and, and you and I met, just so people know. On the the so-called Steubenville rape story, the uh, the story out of Ohio and involving an alleged non-existent conspiracy to cover up a, a rape of a, a high school football team uh, perpetrated by members of a high school football team, uh, you and I met on that story, and we were basically the only two people that got that correct. Uh, there there was no conspiracy, and that all the the people that were being portrayed as the good guys were actually the bad guys. And somewhat vice versa. There, I want to maybe we'll talk about that later on. But I, I want to talk to you specifically, though, about your most recent transition in, in your job and and how it's being portrayed publicly and what significance it might have, and also get your take on some related issues. So, until a couple weeks ago, you were you were working out of the White House as Breitbart's chief investigative reporter. And to be fair, even though you started out as a left winger. Uh, you were a pro, or are to this day, a pro-Trump guy. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I'm a pro-Trump guy, and basically after, you know, working with Andrew Breitbart, uh, I ended up becoming a conservative because I just saw how dishonest uh, the left was. And so subsequently, you know, Andrew and I were in a film called Occupy Unmasked about the Occupy Wall Street movement, and I covered a whole bunch of stories, uh, on you know, that exposed the left. There's no... There's very few people who hate the left more than former leftists, and I am no exception to that. 
So okay, so so you're a, a tr- pro Trump guy, which means that you were fitting in seemingly very well at Breitbart because it, my perception is that Breitbart.com has become a mouthpiece uh, for Donald Trump. It was certainly during the campaign a mouthpiece for the Trump campaign, and by and large, with some exceptions, it is a mouthpiece for the Trump White House. W- would you agree with that assessment of what where Breitbart is today? Broadly, I think I would. I mean, I think here's the thing. I separate Trump, the the person, from what I think there's, I think there's an ideology of populism, an anti-elitist sort of third way in American politics that Trump represented. And so Trump as a person was never that interesting to me, but... As a guy who could get elected and beat Hillary Clinton, I felt very strongly early on uh, that he could do it. I didn't support anybody in the primary, but I felt Trump could do it. And um, I, I still support that idea. You know, and this is what sort of... Uh, there, there is actually, I've I realized recently, my, my politics haven't really changed that much. I'm anti-elitist, and so when... I, I see Bush and Clinton as different on some policies, but similar in terms of both being part of a sort of big elitist establishment. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I was opposed to Bush so, for that reason. So you saw Trump as a way to stick it to the establishment, and you like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. and, and to try to change right. it. Now, that being said, I've been very disappointed by a number of things Trump has done as president and uh I don't think Breitbart has held his feet to the fire as much as they should have on some of this stuff. And I think it's not conspiratorial. Breitbart wants access, right? They, this is, and John, you know this. Uh, the media, one of the, you know, there's an ideological problem with the media. There's a laziness problem. Oh, but yeah. Sometimes it's just as simple as they don't want to screw up access. In other words, if you're, if you're in a small town and the mayor is corrupt, you don't want to piss off the mayor because you need to get interviews with the mayor every week. And so that's what's going on. I mean, Breitbart, in my opinion, has really held its fire on some stuff. I think... Well, because the the theory obviously is that Steve Bannon uh, is now obviously as chief advisor to Donald Trump, and he used to run Breitbart, still owns it, I believe, uh, no, no, he's got no, he's got no business connection anymore. So what? What he's is at all? So what is his connection then to Breitbart, other than just he, calling up people that he that used to work for him? What? What? What, is, he, what do you see Bannon's he, he role there? Yeah, he doesn't have one. I mean, here's the thing too. There was one time that, and this is an example of how separate things are. Uh, Matt Boyle, who's a reporter, who was really uh, Matt's largely responsible for not being at the company anymore. Uh, Matt's a guy who, when I met him, Andrew Breitbart told me, he said, Matt, he said, that kid would cut his right arm off to work for me. And uh, Matt was a fanboy of, of Andrew's who, you know, done some work. Well, Matt's now in a, Matt runs the Washington Bureau for some reason. And um, Matt ran a story saying that Wright's Priebus was on his way out of the White House. And because of Bannon's prior connection to Breitbart, it looked like that came from from Bannon, of course, and it did. It did not come from Bannon. Well, it's, it but but hold on, Lee. It's an understandable presumption for people to make. 
Oh, yeah, I know, I get it. And so what happened was Bannon was forced to call up Matt and go, what are you doing? Because the story was false. And by the way, I knew the story was false from other sources in the White House. Uh, when Matt ran it, I was like, I don't know what we're doing here. Why are we doing this? And what and did he say? Matt, what did what did Matt Boyle say? Well, he said that Matt's very uh, opinionated. Uh, and and so the fact that he was wrong about the story, and again, I talked to other people at the White House, and they said it's just not true. They just said it's not true. Then I heard that Bannon had contacted Matt and yelled at him. Um, but that was not Bannon directing the story. That was Matt having to correct Matt's false reporting. And and then you'll notice afterwards Bannon and Reince did a uh, appearance to get the seat back. Right. So Bannon, Bannon, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I reported this through about Dina Powell. She's a top advisor in the Trump administration now. Uh, she was part of the Bush White House. She's very establishment. She's friends with Valerie Jarrett, friends with Ariana Huffington, or, uh, blah, 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 all this stuff, right? Dina Powell, exactly everything I'm opposed to. Matt Boyle had ran a puff piece about Dina Powell. That's on the Breitbart. If you look up Dina Powell, they've done nothing to hit this woman. And um, that's not coming from Bannon. I can tell you that would right. not be coming from Okay, so Lee, so it is your belief then that Steve Bannon, the former head of Breitbart and current uh, advisor to the president, Donald Trump, that he, he plays no active role in what Breitbart does and does not report. Is that your view? Yeah, and certainly on the stories I'm talking about. I mean, I, I, look, I've seen, I've, I've had almost no contact with Steve since he went to the campaign. Very, very, very little. I told him when I quit, but I didn't tell him before. Before I told him afterwards when I quit, and he, you know, he was bummed that I'd quit because um, uh, he's a fan of my reporting. But no, I can't. No, he's a nuthead. And the stories I'm talking about, I know, for instance, he said no. Uh, impact on whatsoever. Okay, so then, so then what do you think if Bannon, now obviously though, people know, even if Bannon's not having direct contact, and sometimes he is, as you've already mentioned with the, the calling of Matt Boyle to tell him that he was wrong about previous leaving, but, yeah. but people know, obviously, where Bannon stands on the issues and on Trump, so doesn't that have a major impact on how Breitbart reports the news? No, I wish. I wish they did. No, look, when you have somebody like Matt, who's about 30 years old, right, and Matt was not put into place at Breitbart for his news judgment and independence. He was put into place initially so Steve Bannon would have somebody compliant in that editorial position, right? And then when Bannon left, Matt's uh, uh, you know, the, the, the guy who was bossing him around, and t- just Matt was, Matt that you could tell him what to do, right? And so, you know, that was never my relationship. So, so then, he, so he then what, put, if Bannon isn't driving things at Breitbart and people aren't kissing up uh, indirectly to Bannon in their coverage uh, uh, of Trump at Breitbart, what is driving Breitbart based upon uh, you having just left there as an as the chief investigator reporter at the White House. Well, unfortunately, ego and fear. Um, ego in the sense that I think there are people at Breitbart, and Matt is definitely one of them, 
we think they're, you know, Breitbart's been very successful. The number of hits have gone up, right? Well, why is that, right? Why have the clicks gone up? Well, the clicks went up because Trump won, and suddenly Bannon was all over the paper, right? And Breitbart, everyone was talking about Breitbart. And so I think a lot of people went to the site because of that. It, Breitbart's success has nothing to do with the editorial judgment of people like Matt Boyle. So, so it's ego in the sense that I know people like Matt. When the health care bill ended, uh, Matt took credit for that. He was bragging to his friends uh, at the Union Pub here in uh, Washington, D.C., that he'd ended it, okay? Well, no. No, the, the, the health care bill went down because it was a bad bill, and it split the Freedom Caucus and moderate Republicans. Right. That's what ended it. You, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Lee, that Breitbart's being driven by ego and fear. What's the, what's the fear? Well, the fear is losing access, right? The fear is, well, we don't want to do anything that would tick them off. For instance, this is widely reported uh, that they were pulling their punches on Jared Kushner. Uh, and that was, that two people inside the company at least told me that separately. And then it was reported by Oliver Darcy, a business insider, and other people that had reported it, right? But they, when Jared, look, one of the problems for Donald Trump right now, period, is Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. And they simply did not want to go after them as the root cause of the problem. Uh, and they never want to do anything against Ivanka because they're, quite frankly, uh, this is what I've been told by people at the company, that they are scared to death of making Trump angry. And if they say something critical of his daughter, it might make him angry. Well, I, uh, as you you know me, John, <laughs> when we were covering the Steubenville case, there were threats and everything else. Um, I don't I don't factor that into my reporting, right? I can't I can't factor that in. So I just try to get to the truth on things. And uh, if Ivanka Trump is the issue, right? Ivanka Trump is the issue. And so that's you, it. So so that's you, it. so you felt restricted in in reporting negative things about Ivanka Trump because Breitbart was afraid of pissing off Trump. No, I never, I'd never gotten to that point. I had other issues where, uh, and I was very public about it. All right. Well, you mentioned you, had, you mentioned Kushner because obviously uh, Ivanka's uh, husband, who is another chief advisor, who basically is running the whole White House, it appears at this point. That's uh, right. Yes. Uh, so, and and yet people don't even under his his base probably has no idea that he's a very liberal Democrat uh, whose father was corrupt as hell. And yeah. and has no experience yeah. in doing anything, and, and very little uh, success on his own. Uh, and he are, now here he is making all these apparently major decisions about even war and peace in in exactly. the white in the White House. And there were there was some reporting that Breitbart started to go critical on him, and then suddenly stopped because of urging uh, allegedly of, of Steve Bannon or the White House or something like that. What is your take on what really happened there? Well, it was not Bannon. I mean, I, again, I know this from inside sources. If I, if this was not an issue when I was working there, and if it was, I couldn't tell you about it because I'm under, under an NPA. This all happened after I left. Kushner was an obvious problem. Uh, they ran a couple of stories that were minorly critical, and then they started to pull their punches, and now they've come back. 
And it was not outside urging. It was inside urging. It was people going, whoa, 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 what are we doing? And I, I know that because I know what, uh, you know, again, I have, I still talk. I, look, there's a lot of good reporters at Breitbart. I've been, I'm critical of some of the people mm-hmm. uh, who are in editorial positions there. But there's a lot of very good reporters at Breitbart who do very good work. Uh, Raheem Kassam and Brandon Darby and Susan Berry and Mike Lee and all these other people, right? And they tend to be the adults in the room, right? The kids who are running Breitbart are the problem. And, uh, but the adults in the room do good work. And so I've heard things, and I'm not saying it's from any of the people I just mentioned, because uh, I talked to a wide variety of people. But they were like, no, 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 they just got afraid of it. And then I think because they started to get some backlash in the media, they had to relook at the issue again. So that's what happened. Once the, once, and they denied it. They denied that they'd been pulling their punches. But that's just dishonest. One other uh, thing, one other thing on Breitbart before, and I, I, I want to get to your transition to effectively working for the, the Russian version of NPR, which is fascinating. Yep. Uh, but, but let's, let, I want to make sure that we, we touch all the major points on Breitbart. Let's go back to the campaign. And, uh, it was very obvious very early on that that Breitbart was uh, effectively, as I've already referred to it, the mouthpiece for the Trump campaign. They were completely on board. We've since learned that they actually participated in trying to torpedo Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. Uh, what, what, how would you evaluate what Breitbart did during the campaign and their role in getting uh, Donald Trump the Republican nomination? Well, I think the I think the thing Breitbart really did, and I've always said this, is that I think we were fair to Trump, and I think that <laughs> when I say that, when, when oh, I, well, I, fair, Trump might phrase well, it well, that me, way. That's fair, but me, fair let, is a little different based on his perspective. Well, let me let me let me contrast it though. So you had people at the time a major conservative site like the Blaze with Glenn Beck, right? And Beck's criticism of Trump was he's Hitler. And his uh, followers are brown shirts, right? I, now, don't, I don't know that that's accurate, but okay, if that's what you want to phrase it. No, no it, it, it is. You can. It is. You can look at literally Hitler. Okay. Literally, that's what well, he's talking about. And uh, and I've talked to Sean Hannity about this. I mean, literally, you had National Review doing a cover story with like fifty different people going right after Trump very, very early on. And so when I say fair, I mean, Breitbart, people know our perspective on stuff. So, for instance, Rubio, uh, we were not fans of the Gang of Eight immigration bill, okay, at Breitbart, just almost to a person. On the other hand, when it comes to Ted Cruz, for instance, a guy like Ben Shapiro was up on the front page every single day, and Ben Ben is still a little weasel. Ben is a guy who quit over the Michelle Field saying he was not involved internally in any discussions about it that I saw. And Ben's a little weasel who got promoted. Nobody was more promoted than Ben Shapiro after Andrew Breitbart died. And he was up there doing pro-cruise stuff every day and getting front page every day. And so I wrote pieces at Breitbart that went after Trump on when he got things wrong, and they're up and they're published now. You can find them where it's like Trump got this wrong. Trump said said this, and it's inaccurate. Um, that being said, the Trump philosophy that he ran on 
which was very similar to Jeff Sessions. And, you know, you could tell that because Trump hired Stephen Miller very early on, and he's a Sessions guy. Is something that a lot of people, I'm a big fan of Jeff Sessions' uh, take on immigration and other issues. I think that was a real central issue for Breitbart for a lot of people who worked there. And so I didn't support anybody in the primary. I wasn't told to support anybody. Okay, but they, was, but, 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 but come on, Lee. The cheerleading that went on at Breitbart for Donald Trump was way beyond let's give him fair coverage. It was embarrassing. And, and, well, and, and, and you guys got rewarded because Matt Drudge was on the Trump train and kept linking to Breitbart articles, and everybody knows that when you get linked on Drudge, you know, your, your quota for the week is set when it comes to traffic. So this was everyone, well, everyone was scratching each other's back, riding this wave of ratings and traffic because of this Trump phenomenon. And it had nothing to do with truth or conservatism or, or anything else. Where am I wrong there, Lee? Well, well, I, I'm going to put it back to, and I, I hate to do this, but this is just true. And I, when I've talked to other people about it, too, I would say, what was I reporting, or what was Brandon Darby? And everybody, everybody brings it back to one guy. It was Matt Boyle. Matt Boyle was a suck-up to Donald Trump. There's no question about that. And in every story that talks about this, they always reference Boyle's work. Now, the fact is that Matt... And again, this is one of the reasons that I just don't have a lot of respect. I like Matt personally. Matt's a good guy, personally. I'd go to. I'd it's go to more than just one guy, but he happened to be the guy in charge. Look, Lee. I mean, no, I, I wasn't. It, it, there, there were. It was. Ma- it was mainly Matt. There were a couple people, uh, otherwise, who, who who did that. However, I got to say, really, when we get criticized, and Breitbart gets criticized, they people. It always comes down to they go, well, look at the way Boyle was and it was and I I couldn't argue with that and again that was difficult so as a, as a writer there who but you know like I say I was just doing what I do I was reporting the left and when I when I submitted stories and I said I'll give you let me give you one example I was at the first Trump event in Phoenix okay and Trump put out a press release saying that there were like 10 I, I, I don't have the numbers but saying there was like 10,000 people there well, I was at the event, and I said there were like 4,000 people there. Well, we didn't print 10,000 people. We, when, I, when I worked on Trump stories... Well, that's great. Uh, wow. We, so you didn't let we, Trump lie. That's fantastic. You didn't let him just blatantly lie well, no, about how many people it, were it, at his events. That's fantastic. Wow. Would you like your Pulitzer presented in, in person or in, by, by the mail? Which would well, no, you I'll, prefer? I'll take the Pulitzer however you want to get it. But, but you know, here's the thing. I was not management at Breitbart. I was never management at Breitbart. I was not an editor, ever. And uh, that's weird, but okay, I was never an editor. And as a reporter who's done consistently good work, uh, first off, when you work for a company, I uh, it's not your responsibility to criticize that company while you're working for the company. That's why we're talking to you now. You're not working for him anymore. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Well, and I'm I'm saying it was was difficult. It really came down to uh, reporters because the other people who were at the company that I was dealing with, and again, I didn't listen to Bannon's show every day or stuff like that, but he had a variety of, you know, Rand Paul was on a lot. Ben Carson was on a lot. Um, 
Uh, Ted Cruz was on a lot, and there were people in the company who I know supported Cruz, and they wrote about it and they talked about it. So well, I really think I'm not saying it was a hundred percent, but the reality is Trump didn't deserve what he got as far as coverage, and it was and Breitbart was an important part of an overall. It wasn't just Breitbart, but Drudge was involved, Hannity, O'Reilly, Rush Limbaugh jumped on. This was the entire conservative media industrial complex realizing that this was going to be good for them personally and good for business. And that's... Well, I... Yeah, but also, you know, also I think this is a... This is a, this is a I can't... Again, I can't speak for anybody, but what I know is is that I felt that when, when literally I saw NRO, I saw the blaze, I've never seen anything like the attack. And I think it's because Trump's, don't forget who Trump's first target was. The first person he went after was Jeb Bush. That was when... No, no one cares about, no, 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 Lee. I know you're an anti-establishment guy and you think everyone's trying to protect the, the sacred Bushes. No, the reason why Trump got attacked in some quarters is because, and you say you've never seen anything like it before, we never had a Republican frontrunner who was a liberal who was unqualified before. That's why well, it, never, it was unprecedented. That's why yeah, he got I, criticized. No, I think, I, and I, I think here's the thing. The, the good, and I've, I've been very consistent about this. The good thing about Trump was also the bad thing about Trump. The, the good thing about Trump is that he had a lot of money, which means he could run against the establishment and not lose money. And, and he, he could lose a lot of money. He could lose tens of millions of dollars. He didn't spend anything. And, he, he didn't spend so, anything. No, no, but, but, but he could personally lose. He lost contracts. He lost um, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But the other, the other thing was, and this was a big deal, he had 100% name recognition. Yep. And he was, up, he was up against the candidate, Hillary Clinton, who had 100% name recognition. Yep. Yep. So could, Ted, could a guy like Ted, let's use Cruz as an example, Cruz would have lost. Cruz would have lost. I'm not going to fight you on that. Rubio would have beaten yeah. her, and uh, and we would have been in a much better position if, today. I don't, I don't know if Rubio would. No, nah, Rubio would have beaten her. I mean, she was horrible. She was a terrible, yeah, horrible, horrendous candidate. And uh, I, I agree, but she yeah. had 100% name recognition. No, well, so Rubio would have had 100% too after a general election campaign. All right, look. Yeah, well, uh, look. I don't. We're, we're good. We got too many other things I want to get to, Lee. It, so before I leave Breitbart issue, you know, it's interesting. Sure. You're a huge fan of Andrew Breitbart. I was once very close to him. He and I had a falling out. I always presumed we'd have time to fix it, and then he up and died. And obviously, yep, that's yep. never going to happen. And it's you know, it's it's a great one of the great regrets of my life. Although I have many of those, uh, I, I'm curious because you know you and I uh, knew Andrew in very different ways at different time periods. I am quite certain that while he would not have despised everything about Trump, there's certainly parts of Trump he would have liked. Uh, clearly the anti-media part of Donald Trump, I think he would have liked him. But even that, though, Lee, I think uh, he, I would hope Andrew would have had a problem with because you know, my, con- my concern with Trump and his anti-media crusade, and I'm as anti-media as anybody on the planet and have the scars to prove it, is that he never does so substantively. It's always about him. It's always about the media is bad because they attack me rather than the media is bad because here's what they got wrong and here's where they're liberal. And so that to me is where I I would hope Andrew would see a distinction. But my point here is it's my belief, Lee, that Andrew Breitbart would have never supported Donald Trump and would have been embarrassed 
by what his former, uh, you know, his namesake and his website, his former website, now that he's deceased, ended up uh, doing to help facilitate him creating a coup d'etat in the Republican Party and eventually becoming president. I'm guessing you disagree, but I want to hear your take on, on what I just said there. Yeah, I, I do disagree. Uh, first off, Andrews told, told me many times, including right before he died, but I don't have to rely on what he told me privately. He said it publicly, too. Andrew was not that interested in politics, per se. Like, he was not that interested in which candidate or whatever. He was more interested in culture and the broad scope of things, right? Now, he said it in the last CPAC speech he did, where he said, if you're not behind the candidate, you're on the other side. He said, the enemy, there's two ways. There's, there's the, you know, our way and the, the Occupy way. In other words, he viewed this as a fight against the left. So even as unhappy as I am with certain things I've seen Trump do in the past few weeks, I still don't regret supporting him because the alternative was Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton was so much worse. And even just the fact that Gorsuch is on the court, for instance, right. well, is, is better. That's, now, a diff- Andrew, that's a different issue, though. I mean, and we can debate well, that I, forever. I, but, but I'm just saying, from Andrew's perspective, Andrew is very clear. He, he he did not like Mitt Romney. I mean, I know that. He did not like Mitt Romney. But he gave that speech when it was obvious Romney was going to get the nomination. Okay. And, and he gave that speech basically saying to people, look, at the end of the day, Romney's better than Obama in a second term, right? And he saw that danger. Now, the other thing I'd point out is you're completely right. The anti-media stance, and again, I, I think it's, look, there's no question Trump has an ego, and as they say, this is the, the, the worst part about Trump, is, 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 is Trump. The worst part about Trump is, <laughs> is, is him as a person, right? That being said, um, the media stuff that Trump did was major. And I know, for, for instance, Andrew, uh, during the 2012 campaign, Newt Gingrich called up Andrew Breitbart and said, hey, do you have any advice? And Andrew told Gingrich, well, going after the media has always proven to be effective for me. And you'll remember in 2012, in the debate, suddenly Newt Gingrich came out swinging against the media. Well, that was after that conversation. Because Andrew told me about it, then okay, I but, thought, but yeah. you're, you're getting way far afield here. I, I'm asking about Breitbart and Trump, and you know the only public record we know of is a television appearance that Andrew made where he basically called uh, uh, Donald Trump a liberal con man, which is what he is. And no, 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 he didn't. And that's not what he said. What he said was he said he's not conservative, which right, is Okay, accurate. and he also referred they, to him as a con man. So, well, but, but, that's but, so liberal but, but, con man. How is that not accurate? No, was, Non-conservative because, con man. I'm sorry. Well, no, because, because they asked him, because the question that Andrew was asked was, why is Trump getting this traction in 2012? Is it because he's a conservative or something? Right. And Andrew said, no. He said, it's, because it's not because he's conservative. He said it's because it was exactly playing into Andrew's point. It's because he's on TV. You know, Andrew, Trump proved Andrew's theory. Trump, uh, Andrew's theory was that media is, is that politics is downstream from culture. Right. I get, I get that, all that. But that doesn't say that, it, that Breitbart or Andrew would have supported Donald Trump. And by the way, as you well know, Breitbart hated the whole birtherism bullcrap. 
and 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 I'm sure that, that played a part in why he didn't have any love for Donald Trump either, and how it is that Donald Trump ever survived that ridiculous lie uh, is one of the great mysteries of the 2016 campaign. But look, you and I are never going to agree. I just wanted to give your 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 two yeah, cents yeah. on on where because you knew Andrew in a different way than I knew uh, Andrew Breitbart, and and we'll just leave it at that. So now you've left Breitbart and <laughs> you go. And you do a bunch of things, but one of the, the main thing you've left Breitbart to do is to host a radio show for what's called the Sputnik Network, which is effectively yep. the uh, Russia's version of NPR. Now, this has gotten a lot of publicity because obviously people look at this and go, wait a minute. This guy was investigative reporter for Breitbart, the mouthpiece for Donald Trump. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to go work for what's going to be perceived as a mouthpiece for Vladimir Putin. And obviously, this, you know, the, the undercurrent of his entire presidency has been what's up with Trump and Putin and Russia. When you made this decision, you had to have known, and maybe this is partially why you did it. But tell, take me through what you anticipated the reaction to this, uh, how, how that was going to go down and, and, and how it actually went down after this was revealed publicly. Yeah, sure. Well, so I moved to Washington right after the inauguration because I just saw this is the place to be. And um, uh, part of the reason I did it is I wanted to be doing more media, including radio, okay? And so I had started, right before I left Breitbart, I had started to host their radio show as a fill-in host more. And... I had very good reaction to that from everybody who heard it. I'm a very good radio host. Part of the reason I wanted to do it is, as an investigative journalist, writing long pieces. Right. Uh, okay, so you I wanted to do radio, but Lee, Lee, talk to me about. I wanted to get more traction. So, I, got, I got it. I got it. I got it. But I'm, I'm, I want to know. I want to know what you anticipated the reaction was going to be, Lee, going from Breitbart to to Russian radio, and how did it turn out? Well, yeah, this is, this was, so as I was saying, this is an easy call. So I left Breitbart. A friend of mine works at Sputnik. My friend Cassandra works at Sputnik. And they asked me to do a radio show. She said, I don't want to do it, but my friend Lee likes doing radio. They contacted me about doing a show. It's called Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. And it was a Hannity and Cone style show with me and a Bernie supporter. And, uh, doing that kind of, you know, uh, crossfire kind of show, right? I like the sound of the format. It's an hour a day. Uh, the pay and benefits were very good. I got, I'm not just getting paid by the Russian job. I'm getting health insurance from them. Wow. Something I never had a, something I never had at Breitbart, by the way. Good job. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and paid about what I was making at Breitbart. Okay. To, well, good for you. Oh, but again, God. when you left, yeah, when, when you right. took the job, what did you think the perception was going to be? I thought it would be awesome. I was so excited that because uh, I knew people's heads were going to explode. So they didn't. So the great thing was they offered me the gig. There were no content restrictions. They, I've been doing the show a few weeks now. They've never told me what to say. They let me say what I want because I don't. I don't operate that. If I quit Breitbart, I would quit Sputnik. I don't. I don't care. And um, they didn't put any content restrictions on me. And I knew that people's heads were going to explode. And I knew that it would bring a lot of uh, media to the show. I knew it would make people look, look at the. If look, if I'd gotten a radio gig on you know, you know W one two three at six in the morning in Podunk, you know wherever, right? That's going to get no media coverage, right? 
So I was very, very happy that it got a lot of media coverage. Well, what was the what was the nature of the media coverage you going from Breitbart to Sputnik got? It was, you know, Breitbart reporter goes to work for Russia, basically. That's what it was. And uh, the first interview I did with it on Rosie Gray from uh, The Atlantic, who's not a big Breitbart fan, I said, I got it out of the way. I said, look, I'm, uh, I'm on the Russia payroll, which is the quote. But, I mean, there's there's no way around that. That's I could have been cagey about it, but I don't I don't operate that way. And again, uh, they, I'm happy. The, the relationship's been great. They don't tell me what to say. It's a good show. The feedback's been fantastic. So, so what is and, Russia? Uh, what is Russia getting out of you working for them? Uh, I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. I I don't know what was in the calculus. They're getting maybe they're getting you shouldn't let them know radio. that. By the way, <laughs> that might be something you keep to yourself, Lee, if you want to keep the gig. So they're not. Russia's not getting anything out of having a pro-Trump well, talk show host. Well, here's the thing, too. Going back to when I went to Lebanon in 2013, I thought that the U.S. was on the wrong side of the Syrian war, and I thought Russia was on the right side. Nothing has changed there. So I didn't have to suddenly switch one of my viewpoints. I think you mean like that, the president? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly right. I was, I was very unhappy with that because I know quite a bit about Syria. Because, again, I went to Beirut and I interviewed refugees. All right, so, but for the record, you had the Russian position on the strikes against Syria, correct? Uh, more or less. Yeah, I okay. Mean, but, but, but I had it before, I, again, nothing's changed. I, okay. I had it beforehand. Um, and I had looked into it before, so luckily, you know, I mean, I guess luckily. I don't, and again, I don't know if that was a factor in hiring me, but I don't think it was. Because well, they haven't... Well, let me you know, ask you this. How about your coming from Breitbart and being pro-Trump, how much did that play a role in, in effectively the Russian government wanting to hire you? Well, I don't think a factor at all, because you got to remember the nature of the show is a Bernie supporter versus a Trump supporter. Okay. And so uh, they, they, they brought me on, but my, my partner on the show, uh, Garland Nixon, He's on the board of the ACLU. He's a Bernie bro, and so on and so forth. Well, but you could argue—you could actually argue that both sides are friendly to to Russian philosophy. One's communist, and one's pro-Trump nationalist. So, I mean, they win either way, don't they? Well, I guess who's the anti? Who would be be the anti-Russian? I guess Louise Mensch, if she were on, that'd be good. And you know what? I'd have Louise on. I would totally have Louise on. Um, I don't think she'd go, but I would totally have her on as a guest. Well, you just Louise mentioned you just mentioned the woman Louise mentioned, who's uh, who's now become Twitter famous for for basically hundreds of times a day tweeting about the alleged connections between the Trump campaign and Russia and potential collusion in the election, yeah. and she's got hundreds of thousands of people convinced that at any moment now. The sledgehammer is going to fall on the Trump presidency. He's going to be impeached. Uh, he's going to be removed from office because of uh, high crimes and misdemeanors and treason. I'm, I'm not exaggerating, by the way. I'm, I'm, I think I'm putting it no, no. pretty accurately. Uh, so in that context, I, I'm curiously, as someone who is being perceived as the aha, here's the proof that Russia is hiring former Breitbart reporters I'm curious, what do you make of the entire issue of 
Russian collusion in the election and uh, the attempts to help Donald Trump be president? Well, it was one of the reasons I, I quit, actually. I was working on a story that's completely provable about this group, CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike is a cybersecurity company. And, John, they're the only... The FBI asked the DNC to look at their servers, and they were turned down multiple times at multiple levels. Comey is on record saying that. Now, so the DNC never gave the servers. This entire Russia narrative came out of this group, CrowdStrike, who was working for the DNC. And they're the only ones to have examined. Hold on a servers. second. So are you saying are you saying, Lee, that you don't believe that Russia made any attempts to help Donald Trump during the 2016 campaign? What I'm saying definitively is that I have seen no conclusion, and I've talked to technical experts. The idea that Russia was behind the DNC Act has not been technically proven by anybody. Okay. That entirely comes from the DNC hired crowdstrike. Well, then why does the, why do all of our intelligence agencies believe that that's the case? I I they don't believe it based on firsthand uh, knowledge of looking at the servers because they didn't do okay, it. But what what are they basing What are they basing their belief on then, Lee? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask. And, them, and why is there an, why is there an ongoing FBI investigation by by an FBI director who is being given credit for Trump of uh, winning the election yeah. because of his letter? Uh, involving Hillary Clinton's email. So why why did James Comey just reveal a few weeks ago that there's an ongoing FBI investigation into this if it's all bullcrap? Well, because, uh, you, again, you'd have to ask them. I, I, but but the, in, the existence of an investigation on very slim grounds, I've seen no, I mean, it seems to have been based on that dossier, which was oppo research by Bush and then Clinton, it was Apple Research. That's what that whole hundred page thing is based on. Well, there, no, there's no evidence uh, that Bush paid for that. There's no no evidence that Bush no, paid no, for that no, dossier. There was, there, there was. If you look at it, that steel. I think that's the guy who did it. Steel. That right. steel thing. That was Apple Research. That was funded by. It was either Bush or or Rubio. But I want to say now, I, I've seen no evidence. If, if I'm, I, I'd be happy to be corrected. I have, I, I have I no. I've seen what? nothing that indicates that Bush or Rubio paid for that. But regardless, no, no. No, no, it did. It, 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 it was Republican Apple research, and I'm I, as sure as I can be I, that it was Bush. Okay, I'm as well, sure as I can be. Yeah. And it, it may have passed through Rubio at some point. There was some okay. connection to Rubio. Regardless, looking, the FBI, for some reason, found it to be credible enough to use it to get a Pfizer warrant to surveil Carter Page for some reason. So, I mean— well, and, and, don't, and, don't forget, they were, also, they were also turned down for a Pfizer warrant. Okay. okay, but so, and, but wait a minute. And, Hold on, Lee. So, if, if you make the argument that they got turned down, then then that means that when they got one, that means that there's even more credibility behind it. So you can't have it both well, ways. No, 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 no. First off, out of thirty thousand, I think thirty thousand FISA requests, they only turned down about like a dozen. Uh-huh. Right. So most most FISA warrants okay. gets a, get get approved. Right. Look, look and, Lee. Let me let me so take. I don't want to get in, in our remaining time here. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. I want to talk big picture yeah, yeah. here. But I want to talk big picture here. All right. So, so you clearly, as a as a guy who now works effectively for Russia, used to work for the Trump mouthpiece Breitbart. You don't buy any of this at all. Clearly, right? I just want to make sure. Yeah, yes. That is that. Neither neither one. Everything I'm saying is provable. In other okay. words, the thing about the FBI not looking at the servers. Let's just stop there. 
what is going on when the FBI is not looking at the servers? That's outrageous. Okay. What's going on with CrowdStrike? Nobody has ever done this. So here's the thing about my reporting. It's always provable. Okay. This is why it, it, there's nothing. So the sourcing of it, whoever I work for, I'm not saying it to you now because I'm working for I said the same thing when I worked for Breitbart, same okay. thing when I worked for Russia, same thing when I well, worked Oh, you were on the same nobody. side. You were on the same side when you wrote, you, no, when no, when no, you wrote for Breitbart. Same thing. Same thing when I worked for nobody. Okay. The facts are the facts. The All FBI right. okay, never fine. came in the service. Look, look, and, I, and, and, the, and the big reporting that I did, John, and this is important, is that CrowdStrike made up something right before about Ukrainian hacking that they lied about, that they had to then retract. They've now retracted it. So when I, when I reported it that they lied, and this is what I was in the White House about, that's provable. That's just okay. provable. It's right. Lee, Lee, I, I do not know, and I've been on the record many times saying, I don't know what the truth is between Russia and Trump and alleged collusion in the 2016 campaign. I do believe the evidence is overwhelming that Russia wanted Trump to win. I don't think they thought they were going to be able to pull it off, which is part of how this whole thing went down the way that it did. I think they were shocked. Uh, as anybody else was when Trump ended up winning. I don't think that they hacked into voting machines or anything crazy like that. But uh, but here's what I, I, I'm curious about your perspective on, because I'm trying to read the big picture tea leaves, all right? I, like you, I think we think similarly here, and I'm fascinated to hear what your reaction is going to be. So I'm looking at Trump's reaction to this story, which to me, frankly, has definitely been in the category of dust out protest too much when it comes to involvement of Russia. But more specifically, I'm curious what you make of what the National Enquirer, you've already mentioned once in this interview, has done now twice within the last month. I don't know if you're even aware of this, but a couple weeks ago they had a cover story that basically made the case that Trump had found out that Mike Flynn was a Russian spy and gotten rid of him. And then this week, I just saw it in the supermarket yesterday, it's the headline is, What Trump Doesn't Know, with pictures of Flynn, Manafort, Page, and Roger Stone, all basically as Russian agents. This is on the cover. This is it's not a minor story. This is huge cover. This is the mouthpiece for Donald Trump. Now, to me, you put those two cover stories within three or four weeks, that's not a coincidence. I'm curious, what do you make of what's going on there at the National Enquirer and why they're trying to forward this narrative that Trump was in the dark about how much Russia was involved in his campaign? Well, I, uh, so I don't know. I haven't seen the stories yet. But I, I, here's what I know. Here's what I know for sure. I'm the one who got Roger Stone involved in this whole thing. I had done research early on, and I wanted to get some traction for it. And so I called Roger Stone, and I said, the, the Democrats are trying to blame Russia for this hack. I said, I've looked into it. It's this person, it's this entity, Guccifer 2.0. So Roger talked to Guccifer after I talked to Guccifer, which is well after the hacks. This was August. The hacks happened back in it was over by June, basically. Uh, so I got involved in this after the hacks. I got Roger involved in it. I, I co-wrote the piece with him that was bylined to him. And this is all on the record. And I talked to Roger a couple weeks ago. And Roger's very, again, look, I don't, get, I, I don't get stuff wrong as a reporter. I just don't. And so 
that story that I wrote that went up under Roger Stone's byline at Breitbart. Well, this takes us back to the Breitbart thing. Another reason... You're not answering my question. Why would the National Enquirer do that well, I don't, to... I don't, I don't, I don't, no, no, I, you, come I don't on. Put, on. Put on your thinking cap. You you trust me enough to, that I'm telling you the truth, that these are cover stories, full-on front page. To, Why no, would the National Enquirer be doing that? You want me to, you want me to guess? I can yeah, guess. guess. Give me your best guess. My guess is that, based on what I know about going on in the Trump White House, that there are forces in the Trump White House specifically his daughter, Ivanka, and Jared Cook, but his daughter, who uh, are being given advice by people about how to, quote-unquote, help Donald Trump. And that uh, a lot of the moves that they're making are done by Ivanka. I, 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 don't, I don't have a conspiracy theory. I think she's trying to help her dad. So it's like, gee, you know, Steve Bannon's really embarrassing to your dad, or this Russia thing's really embarrassing to your dad, and therefore... You should tell him to do this. And so if it's Trump or someone connected to him uh, telling the Inquirer, hey, get some distance here on the Russia thing, it's because they were getting be- – I was in the White House. Reporters were asking about this Russia narrative every single day in that press room. Right. And they weren't asking about it because there was any factual basis to it. They were asking because, again, there wasn't a factual basis to it. Well, they were... <laughs> it's kind of hard to argue on the Carter Page thing at this point, Lee. I mean, the, the evidence is is rather overwhelming. Well, no, the, the evidence is the evidence overwhelming of what? That of he what? of Russian involvement with Carter Page. I mean, and well, and, and, and it was it was known. It was known. It was never hidden that I, Carter Page was a guy who'd done consulting with Russian companies right. before this was known. Right, and so he'd worked with Russian companies right. now. Were they making the same deal about Hillary selling uranium right. to doing the uh, deal with Tony? I, 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 I'm not look. I'm not going to defend Hillary. That's not the issue here. Let, let me let me just right. try one more one more thing on this, okay? Because you said you know you want me to guess. Let, let me throw you my theory out, okay? Uh, because yeah. and, and again, I don't. I can't make sense of it all. You know, I, I'm a I'm a guy who I like to find a, a path or a narrative that is consistent with everything that we know for sure, and I, and I can't find one in either direction because this story is so weird and so confusing in that way. So th- I, I'm stipulating that I don't know for sure. But I know that the way the National Enquirer has worked in the past because of the relationship that Trump has to the, the guy who runs the National Enquirer, owns the National Enquirer, you have to take it seriously from a narrative standpoint. And it certainly is consistent that for them to do this two out of four weeks – and it's not exactly a sexy story. This is not going to sell a lot of newspapers on the supermarket. So there's got to be a political reason why they're doing it. It's consistent with a White House that is afraid that the other shoe is going to drop. And they're looking to make sure that the narrative is already set, that Trump is 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 at least at arm's length from this. And if they even have to say that he was duped by people and didn't know what was going on, which you know Trump doesn't like that, a narrative, but if if that's where they have to go to keep him separated from these Russian revelations, then they're willing to do that, and that they're setting the predicate, they're setting the foundation for the Trump cult. And let's face it, the Trump cult is much more likely to find out what's going on in National Enquirer than than other groups of people. If the Trump cult has already been given 
the, the you know planted the seeds that this had nothing to do with Trump. This was you know this this was a rogue thing inside his campaign. He had no idea. He didn't have anything to do with it. Then he might be able to survive whatever revelations are coming. What what do you make of that theory? Well, it's possible, but you know it's also possible. It's the owner of the Inquirer who is a Trump fan on their own. Being full, this is what I know. I know that I know this crowd strike aspect of the story better than anybody in the country, basically. There's okay. a hand, every time I get into a story, there's a hand. I, I know it as well. Like Steubenville, you and I were one of about three people. It was you and I, basically. It was it. There was nobody else. There was nobody there was else. Nobody it was just else. us. I was, to, I was trying to be helpful. Nobody else, right? Right. So it, it's this crowd strike thing. There's maybe, uh, same thing with Edwards. There's six people. This thing is maybe six people who get this story right. Here's what I know. I was in a room with these idiot reporters in the White House asking questions that they don't know anything about, falling for this narrative. And I've seen it before with Edwards, with Steubenville, with Syria, where I'm right and they're wrong. And it's provable. Anybody can look up my name in CrowdStrike. Okay. You can click the I, link. I got nothing. it. I got it. I got it. I got it. But you, 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 I but, just was but, curious but, what your reaction well, to my think, theory was. Why? why? Well, so so my, my theory is that I don't know what's going on, but... Is it possible the the guy who runs the Inquirer was fooled by this? Yep, sure is. And then I don't so know. So I, I, I and by the way, I think what you're saying is possible. If I'm understanding it correctly, you're saying that the Inquirer is on their own looking for a, a narrative to defend Trump against possible revelations. They have no idea whether they're coming or not. Is that what you're saying? That's that's right. Yes. Cause, okay. Because yeah, there, there's no there there. There is no there. there. Okay. Look for it. All right. Now, Fair now, enough. Co- now. You want to say one more thing? Well, no, just if it comes out tomorrow, this is my only take. Is The reason I'm always right is because as soon as I learn some new facts that contradict things, I don't fight them. I go, okay, well, that's the fact then. Good but for you. I, the, I wish more reporters evidence, were like that. <laughs> based on the evidence we have now, I know what's happening, and there's no technical proof. The Russians are behind the attack. Uh, okay, no. but for the record, I, I for the record, you now for now for the record, you now work for Vladimir Putin. Just to be clear. Yeah, no, but but, uh, but and here's the other thing. Uh, just to be if clear, were, you work for Vladimir Putin. Well, uh, you know, I, I joke about that all the time. <laughs> okay, he never calls. Vladimir right. never calls. <laughs> all right. Last thing, Lee, since you've mentioned it a couple times, and you know, a couple weeks, I guess, about a month ago now. There was some major news, which, of course, got completely ignored because the story is dead. The media has moved on and they don't like admitting they're wrong. Uh, you and I met on this old Steubenville case. And, uh, I, and, and without getting too deep in the weeds on the details, but here's basically what happened was that in the aftermath of the whole Penn State scandal, which I also know to be bullcrap because I know everything there is about it more than anybody else on the planet. In the wake of that, the media thought they found like, like the little brother of Penn State, which was this uh, high school football cover-up of rape in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, you and I looked at this from completely different perspectives. Uh, I, I had written a book about the city and the town and the football team with the same football coach. I knew the football coach for many years. Uh, I'm the only guy that's interviewed him extensively on this story. I've done so for hours. Uh, and I knew that the whole cover-up thing was a bunch of bull crap, and you focus a little bit more on on the hacking issue and it turned out that the guy that you focused on as the bad guy who the media thought was the good guy uh, ended up getting sentenced to uh to federal prison and uh and the prosecutor and the judge and the uh, uh, at the sentencing 
effectively said there was no cover-up here and that this hacker, who the media fell in love with because they liked that narrative, had actually done far more damage than he had ever done anything good uh, to the story and to, obviously, the people of Steubenville, who he terrorized. I mean, this was a terrorist who the media was portraying as a hero. In fact, Brad Pitt's company actually bought his his story to make a movie, which hopefully will never happen. Uh, what do you th- what do you think that people, if they knew the facts, the real story behind the whole Steubenville thing, what would they have learned about the way the news media works or more more often does not work, Lee? Well, it's so, you know, here's the thing. You say this was sort of the uh, baby brother of, uh, of the Sandusky story. It was also the, the mother of the UVA rape story, as far as I'm concerned. This is, and, it, and it's yes. the, the distant cousin of the Duke Lacrosse story. Yes, yes. This, this, this was a story of uh, athletes are the bad guys, right? And that, that was the story, right? Athletes are the bad guys. And look, Aaron Hernandez, sometimes athletes are bad guys, right? right. That happens. Sure. But, but also, this was about uh, a, a rape story that, in the same sense as Duke Lacrosse and these other stories, they're really sort of, I mean, here's the thing. This was not, uh, as the prosecutor said to me, even if you laid out all the facts factually on this, there are much more heinous, violent, horrific crimes that happen all the time, right? Right. That, that don't get them press, right? Right. And this was a, a date rape case of a young woman who knew the guys, and I don't want to get deep into it, and I don't want to seem like I'm defending anything. Well, see, but what you're, you're hitting on is one of the many problems in a case like this. You're not allowed to talk about the facts because, That's right, because yeah. then you're a bad person. And because yeah. once we label it with the R word, rape, everyone's heads explode. Oh, my God, you're defending rape. No, no, no. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, and it makes it very difficult because you and I, in fact, Sean, both know all the facts about this case. We know the, the, the victim is. We know, we know the whole thing. And so there's stuff I don't want to say because what, what happened happened and you don't want to, you know, blah, 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 or embarrass people or whatever. Right, but, but Lee, but, this, but, but tell me, how how much of an example was this of how broken our news media is? That's what I'm looking for. Oh, it, it's a huge example. And it's a huge example of how they just run with it in celebrity-driven news, and then Roseanne Barr got involved. You know, stuff's totally friendly with Roseanne, but but she was she said stuff that was completely outrageous, but she's out Roseanne. So it, it's an example of how anonymous gets portrayed, who they portray, the heroes to be, and uh, how every, everyone, the, everyone from the New York Times to the local papers in that area just got this wrong. And, they, and, and but here's the other thing, and you just hinted at it. It would be very difficult for us to have an open discussion about what actually happened yeah. Without getting creamed on this, we of would course. get attacked viciously. And by the way, it's it's you know what what actually happened is an interesting story that never got told. The interesting story that never got told there is how these kids in a small town uh, are so impacted by the culture that, and I could see this that there were that that there was stuff going on. 
behind the scenes in small town Steubenville that wasn't illegal. It was kind of illegal because you're not supposed to drink or whatever. Right. But these kids were were doing stuff that like right. the parents were shocked by. Well, That's what well look, I've I've never even really bothered that much with with the nuts and bolts of what occurred, even though I know what occurred was not as it was portrayed. My whole That's thing, right. my whole thing was the media blew it in trying to create this this perception that a town covered right. this up to protect football, which was just complete balderdash. And yeah. and and my secondary concern was that this this scumbag terrorist was turned into a hero. And while the justice system finally got it right with him, the media never did. And uh, well, other than Lee Stranahan and John Ziegler, literally nobody else told the damn truth of this story. And it's just a travesty, and it's it pisses me off. So, and and how it affected, and the, you know, the other aspect of this was that the Republican uh, Attorney General, Mike DeWine, yeah, he, he was he was outrageous, absolutely, he out- was completely outrageous, and, and did a witch hunt. Yes, they went through to try to to try to appease the media and the social justice warriors. Yes. They they went on a witch hunt where they convicted, they got guilty pleas out of a bunch of people for stuff that had nothing to do with this case. Nothing. Literally nothing to do nothing. with Nothing. And yet the media was so stupid that when they held the press conference, they didn't even check the dates because the dates on the indictment were months before yeah. the episode that had made so much publicity. You can't have a crime that occurs covering up a rape before the rape ever happened, regardless yeah, of what you call it. And, and, uh, but that's how dumb the media is. That's how, and that's how, and the most important thing people need to understand is, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this, and this will be the last point, is that once the media latches on to a narrative they like, look out, because there's no fighting it. Facts don't matter. Logic doesn't matter. Nothing matters because they well, and, got their story. And the- and the damage that they did to people Ugh. in that town, uh, just individual people like Rhea, Coach Reno, who you've mm. talked about, but, but other people in that town, and literal real damage, people's businesses destroyed, yeah. kids' kids' college careers, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And none of it was helped. And like I say, they never got to the real... There's an yeah. interesting yeah. real story about how... Uh, about how you know, that football team was attacked. Here's the You know this is true. One of the reasons they got attacked is due to racism, actually, because it was a successful team that had a lot of black players on it. And a lot of the other teams in that area didn't like that team because they were successful yeah. and because they had black players on it. Now, that's, that's part of what happened. Now, that, that's not a conservative narrative, but it's true. Right, I mean, it's not a liberal narrative either, I guess. But but there <laughs> right. was so much stuff that. Right. But it's just true. Well, I Lee, mean, Lee, I I very much appreciated your your, your work on that story, and because uh, I would have gone, you know, even crazier than I already am if if you hadn't been, yeah, yeah. been there doing that. And I and I so, appreciate your work. You did great stuff. And, and I appre- stuff. and and so uh, where can people find you? Uh, I have a site called The Populist, T-H-E-Populist.us which is my main site. I'm also doing stuff on Radio Sputnik. It's called Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. I'm also a correspondent for Next News Network. You can see me doing stuff there Monday through Friday. And the Twitter, Stranahan Twitter is a good central place to find all my stuff. Sounds I have good. A big story. I have a big story up right now about how Google, John, is taking paid ads for terrorists on Warhol and Lockheed. It is completely outrageous. 
and it's up on thepopulous.com right now. The, thepopulous.us, forgive me, thepopulous.us right, right Lee, now. It's amazing. Uh, Lee, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for your patience with our technical issue, and let's keep in touch. You bet, you bet, buddy. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for all your work. You're doing great stuff. Right, thanks. thanks. Thanks, Lee. All right, th- that'll do it uh, for this hour number two of the World According to Zig podcast. I'll be back again next week with another interesting guest. Until then, I ask only two things of you. If you like this podcast, share it via social media or just word of mouth because that's the only way people are going to find out about it. And two, if you're one of those people that sleeps and when you sleep at night, you use sheets, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.